Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Melinda, for leading us in song this morning. As Brian said earlier, uh, in, as the, the stream began, uh, this has been uh, two months now of us pushing out teaching and music uh, across this live stream on our website. And I know that there are many of us who are weary of that. And I know that now as the uh, economy within our state has begun to reopen, uh, there are many of you who may be asking questions about when we would consider regathering at Highview. So I just want to address that briefly this morning before we enter into the message. Our elders and staff have been in prayer and planning as we think about what it would look like for Redeemer to regather at Highview. Obviously, there are some considerations in play with regards to the owners of the daycare. And so having talked to them um, and uh, talked through their level of comfort with us coming back and reuniting there for worship on Sunday mornings, uh, but then also with regards to uh, our own level of comfort in reuniting together. Our elders have thought tentatively about trying to regather the church in the month of June. And so our staff and is planning for that. Um, obviously, there'll be some changes. What we left at Highview is not what we will return to immediately as we phased back into regathering as a church publicly on Sunday mornings. And in order to help us with that, as we look toward June as a time for us to regather, uh, this next week we're going to send out an email that will have a list of things that we envision would change for us as we regather, at least initially as we phase the reentry into regathering in Highview. Uh, but there will also be in that email a link to a survey, because we want to hear from you with regards to your level of comfort with certain ministries that were in operation prior to us uh, moving out when the stay-at-home orders were issued, and your level of comfort with yourself or your children participating in those ministries as we resume gathering together as a church body. And so we would ask you, I know online surveys, the response rate typically is not very high, uh, because many of us will read those things and pass right by them. But I want to encourage you, if you're a member of this church, to take time to thoughtfully process the questions and respond with as much honesty as you possibly can, because that's the only way that it will help us as we make plans and preparations to regather. So I know that this has been a weary season for many of us. I know I've heard from many of you uh, longing to be able to come back to church and so we long for that as well. We just want to do it as safely as possible. So we've got a runway now of several weeks to plan and prepare for that. And we need your voice and your input as we do so. So you can look forward to that in the email next week, outlining some steps we already plan to take, but also wanting to hear from you about maybe additional steps that we can take to make things safe as we plan to regather. Also, before we enter the sermon, I want to say a word to mothers this morning. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, to all of you who have given birth to children or have adopted children into your families. Um, motherhood is a special and unique gift from God. Um, I'm reminded of the impact that moms can have on the lives of, their, of, of, of subsequent generations by the way that they love, care for, and disciple their children. I'm reminded of that every time I read 2 Timothy chapter 1 where you read about Timothy's own sovereign foundations as God began to lay framework in his life uh, that would prepare him to be the kind of man that he was. And it came through the faith of his grandmother and his mother. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 in verse 3. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Speaking to Timothy, and then in verse 4 he says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. You see, the faith that Timothy had obviously was a gift from God, but it was also transmitted by his grandmother who had walked in uh, obedience to Jesus throughout her life and his mother who had walked in obedience to Jesus throughout her life and had passed down what they had received. And so listen, if you're a mom out there who is weary in the trenches today, 
as you try to teach and disciple, as you've gone from perhaps working outside the home to now trying to work at home and trying to care for the needs of the family, trying to teach your kids at home school, trying to continue to disciple them and read scriptures with them, pray with them, all the things that it requires of a mother in these days. I want to encourage you, do not grow weary and lose heart, but know that as you plant these seeds, there will be a harvest. So don't give up. Don't give up. Continue to be faithful in that. For those of you who long for children and have not yet had them, listen, our heart goes out to you this morning. And we pray with you for God's grace, for God's comfort in this time, but also for your ability to trust Him, to trust that His plans and purposes for you are perfect and pure, and there's nothing that He's withholding from you out of spite or out of anger. But whatever it is that you have not received, that you want to receive, continue to trust Him for. And if it never comes to pass, continue to trust Him in that time. So thank you to our moms. Thank you to those of you who serve your families well, love them well, care for them well, and teach them well. It makes a difference, as you can see in Timothy's life. If you got a Bible this morning, turn with me to Mark chapter 7 is where we're going to be as we continue to make our way through Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 7, uh, we find ourselves on the heels of the conversation that we began last week where the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were questioning Jesus on why his disciples came to the table without having washed their hands. Remember we said last week this was ceremonial cleansings that once only applied to the priest, and now by Jesus they apply to every Jewish person as they layered on their traditions, created in layers to keep themselves from perhaps doing something that would be offensive to God. And so Jesus continues in that same vein of these ceremonial cleansings, of these washings, as He continues to teach them in verses 14 to 23, which is where we're going to be this morning. We find this in the text. If you don't have a copy of it in front of you on your couch, you can find it on the screen as we read it together. But in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 14, we read, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things come from within, and they are what defile a person. Several months ago, uh, before the rain stopped, it seemed like this spring we got tons and tons of rain here in the Dallas area. Before the rain stopped and before coronavirus invaded and the pandemic began to sweep our nation, uh, my kids were playing outside with some of the neighbor kids. Across the street from us, there are three young girls who are about eight, four, and two. Okay, And then my daughter, Sarah, loves to play with them. And so she played with them uh, very, in very close quarters prior to the pandemic. And so they were in the field across the street from our house, which is kind of like a green belt that the developers left there in order for just to be some green space in the neighborhood. One of the reasons we bought the home was to have a place for our kids to play that we don't have to upkeep. And so they were over there playing, and they were playing in, guess what, the mud. Okay, and it's not any mud. This is the black clay mud of this Texas soil. And so it began with just kind of digging around in it and building mud castles and everything like that. And it went from building mud castles to full-on mud angels, kind of like snow angels in the snow, right? Where they're laying in it and just waving their arms and spreading their legs. And it went from being on their back to being on their stomachs in the mud. They were like pigs wallowing in the mud. And so I'm sitting outside in a, in a camp chair next to my neighbors as we watched our kids play out there in the mud, and eventually they come running back to us, wanting to give us hugs. 
And I'm, just, I'm like, no, 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 no. No, you see, I, I was not making mud angels. You were making mud angels. I have no desire to be a mud angel. You can continue to be the mud angel. But listen, the two-year-old across the street from us, she came running back. And listen, she's got blonde hair, blue eyes. And she, as she came running back to her mom, right, she is covered head to toe. The, there's, there's no more blonde hair. It's black hair now, okay? Right? All you can see are the whites of her eyes and the white of her teeth as she smiles. That's all you can see. Everything else is black mud from head to toe. And she's standing there on the driveway. And I felt bad. I actually helped them clean the driveway off later because my children were participating in this. But the mud was everywhere all over the driveway. It just dripped off of them. And she's standing there with this big smile on her face. And you just see her white teeth lighting up the sky. And I thought to myself as I watched my kids wallow in that filth. I thought, what a picture of the human condition. What a picture of our natural condition before God. That we are covered head to toe. And the, the, the reality is, church, is not only we are we covered head to toe in our natural condition, but we are content to be. We are content to be. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, listen, he said, we're like children. We're like children who are content to build mud pies when a holiday or a vacation at the seashore on the beach is being offered to them. Something that we've never experienced or tasted. We're content with what we see in front of us and we're covered in filth. If you don't believe me in this story, I think you can read the words of Jesus here in Mark chapter 7 and you can see that truth jump off the pages of this text. Now, you may have seen the title of the sermon as it went out this week, dealing with defilement and thought defilement. That's a word that doesn't get a whole lot of airtime in our culture. And you would be right. It doesn't get a whole lot of airtime in our culture. But it's a word that Jesus uses when he speaks of our sinful state as human beings. In fact, the things we want to see this from this text, the first thing I want us to see this morning is this, is that we are all defiled, each and every one of us is covered in filth in our natural state and we are content to be. We're all defiled. In fact, Jesus uses this word defile repeatedly in the text five times over these ten verses. verses, Jesus uses this word defiled. And the word defiled literally means this. Listen, it means to make unclean. And it refers oftentimes in the <coughs> both Old and New Testament to the idea of ceremonial purity and cleanliness. So the purity laws, the cleanliness laws, the dietary laws, the sanitary laws in the Old Testament. So if you were defiled, you had violated one of these laws. If you were defiled, then you were unclean. If you were defiled, then you had broken a dietary law, you'd broken a sanitary law from the Old Testament. Now, consider some of these laws that you find, found in the Old Testament. Here are some of them, those dietary and sanitary laws. So you were unclean, you were defiled if you came in contact with a corpse, you came in contact with a dead body of any kind, an animal on the side of the road, or a human body, then you were considered unclean or defiled. If you had an infectious skin disease, if you had boils or rashes over your body or sores, then you were unclean, you were defiled. If you had come in contact with mildew, okay, in your home or in your clothing or in fabrics or somewhere around your community, then you were considered to be unclean. If you had some kind of bodily discharge, okay, so if you had a stomach bug and had diarrhea or if you'd gotten a hold of some bad food that is spoiled, okay, and, and you could not control the movement any longer, then you were considered to be unclean. Clean. If you ate food made from animals that were out of bounds or set off limits, from pork, right? So you couldn't eat any bacon. Okay, there were no baby back ribs. If you eaten this food that had been prepared from an unclean animal, then you were unclean. If you had an open wound with blood or pus that was oozing out, then you were considered to be unclean. In any of these situations, and in fact, in the Old Testament, many others, you were ceremonially unclean. You were defiled, and what that meant was. You could not go to the temple to worship God with the covenant community without being cleansed. Now this makes sense. We might think, well, that's kind of antiquated. That's 
for them back there. We no longer operate that way. But before we move forward, I want you to consider something. This makes sense on at least two levels. First of all, it makes sense on the level of physical health. Because some of these sanitary laws uh, were for the, protected the people's health. Somebody had an infectious skin disease and one's spreading everywhere, similar to the pandemic right now, which is why we're in isolation and stay, why we were under stay-at-home orders. So physical health, but listen, I want you to also consider something. There were physical rituals involved in these cleansings and these ceremonial cleansings because physical rituals are oftentimes visual aids to assist us in the recognition of spiritual realities. Okay? Physical rituals, let me say that again, are oftentimes visual aids to assist us in the recognition of spiritual realities. Let me give you a few examples. People physically fast from food. One of the purposes of that is to cultivate or develop an inner spiritual hunger for God. Or people, whenever they pray, they might, you know, anytime... I see this in church. Anytime I say, let's pray, what do people automatically, it's like somebody at the doctor's office, they hit their knee with a little hammer. It's like a reflex. What do people automatically do? They bow their head. Why do they bow their head? It's a representation of a spiritual reality of humbling ourselves before God. Or people might get on their knees to pray as a recognition of their dependence upon the Lord. It's a physical ritual that helps us recognize uh, spiritual realities. And all these washings in the Old Testament, all these cleansings, they were visual aids in one respect to help people recognize the spiritual reality that we are morally and spiritually unclean and cannot enter the presence of God without some sort of spiritual cleansing. So don't write these laws off, but consider their purpose, that we need some sort of cleansing. And this makes absolute sense, doesn't it? Listen, if you were going to get ready to go see someone who was really, really important to you, okay, so listen, maybe, maybe you're a teenager and you're getting ready to go on your very first date. Okay, somebody that you have had eyes for for quite some time. You thought that they were cute or they were funny or they were, 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 were kind and they were generous. Right? And so you, you either they asked you out on a date or you asked them out on it and all of a sudden like, you're going out to your first movie together. Okay, so what do you do? Right? You take a shower. Okay, you wash your body, you clean yourself so you don't smell like B.O., okay? You put on some deodorant, maybe you put on a little cologne, you cleanse yourself, okay? You look in the mirror, you try to conceal all the imperfections because you want to cover all those things up. So you wash and you brush your teeth and you actually floss to get all the stuff out from in between, okay? So you do all these things, you fix your hair with all kinds of product and you shave, because eventually, young men, you'll begin to start growing facial hair. So you might shave. What are you trying to do? You're trying to remove any imperfection, remove all the dirt from your body because you're going into the presence of someone that's important to you. How much more so going into the presence of God do we need to be cleansed to remove all of the filth, to remove all the imperfections, to be cleansed from all of those things? Now notice in the text, Jesus, does, while He doesn't agree with the Pharisees on the source and solution of the uncleanness, listen, He does agree that we are all unclean. He doesn't dismiss our need for cleansing. Listen, I want you to hear this real closely. Jesus doesn't downplay our need for cleansing. What He does is He ups the ante and He intensifies it. He intensifies our need for cleansing because in several places in the text, Jesus tells his disciples that what they put into their bodies is not what makes them unclean, but what comes out of their hearts is what makes them unclean. Listen in verses 15 and 20 again. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, that can make them make him unfit for the worship of God in the midst of the covenant community. But the things that come out of a person or what defile him. In verse 20, Jesus repeats that again. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. And when Jesus says that defilement doesn't come from the outside, but from the inside, he moves the issue of uncleanliness from our external habits and practices 
and rituals, and he moves the issue of cleanliness from the external habits to the internal condition of our hearts. And listen, it shifts this issue into the heart of every human being, regardless of race, regardless of creed, regardless of class, regardless of political party, regardless of nationality, regardless of socioeconomics, regardless of any other dividing line in human societies. He shifts it into the heart of every human being because there is no human who can hold up a heart of absolute purity before God. Because I want you to hear something. Every human being, including this one, and most especially this one, is full of, at times, is, is in our natural state, full of pride. Full of fear. Full of a quest for human approval. Has mixed motivations operates on the basis of the fear of man. Listen, there is no heart that can hold itself. There may be many people who can kind of clean up the outside and look presentable, but there is no human heart that can hold itself up in the presence of God in absolute purity, which means that every human person is defiled. Every human being is defiled. We're all unclean. That's the first thing Jesus teaches us in this text. The second thing is this. Listen, the second thing is this. Don't confuse the symptoms for the source. Listen, in our physical lives, confusing the symptoms for the source can be deadly. <laughs> it can be deadly, right? If you confuse the symptoms for the source, and you, let's say you wake up one morning with a little bit of indigestion, Okay, so you've got a little bit of heartburn, you've got some, uh, maybe an upset stomach, maybe a little bit nauseous, and that continues to go on over the course of time, and you begin to just continue to take Pepto-Bismol, okay? So you're popping antacids, at, you know, like day after day after day after day, trying to treat the symptoms, because you confuse the symptoms for the source, and all of a sudden, years later, you've discovered that you've had stomach cancer that's eating you from the inside out. Listen, if you confuse the symptoms for the source and never get down to the source, it can be deadly for you physically. But listen, I want you to consider something, that that same reality is true in your spiritual lives and in relation to our souls. Notice what Jesus says in verses 18 to 20. He says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? What comes out of a person is what defiles him. Jesus says that we're not defiled from the outside in, but from the inside out. He says, listen, in relation to all the dietary laws in the Old Testament, he says what, you, what you're eating ultimately is not what makes you unclean. He says because when you eat something, it goes in your mouth, down your esophagus, into your stomach. It goes, if I can put it so frankly, it goes in the top and out the bottom and into the toilet. Okay, and it never gets to the heart. So it doesn't affect the heart. If the heart is what is defiling us, then the food that he says that you're putting in your mouth is not the source of your defilement. Jesus is the source of all of our uncleanness is not outside in, but it's inside out. It's our hearts. And all the external behaviors that come out of the heart are merely symptoms that bubble up from the source. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 21 and 22. He lists 12 different vices or sins that arise from the hearts of men. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Listen, there is, there is no human heart. They can ever stay before God. I've never had an evil thought. I've never devised some sort of evil scheme. There's no human heart that can stand before God and say that I've never lusted after something or someone, either greed and covetousness or sexual immorality and desiring someone. There is no human heart that can stand before God and say, I've never hated someone to the degree that I 
that, that it was like murdering them in my heart. There's never someone who can stand before God and say, I have not wanted something so badly that it was like taking it from the other person. There is never someone who can stand before God and say that I have never been foolish or prideful. Listen, all of these things that Jesus say rise out of the heart. Ultimately, they give expression in the life. But the symptoms that you see on the outside are not the source. Which is why Jesus says, listen, the defilement in your life, what makes you unclean and unfit before God for worship amongst the covenant community is not all the external symptoms that you see, but what makes you unfit is the internal condition of your heart because that's the source. And you, listen church, I, we, I become painfully aware of this in recent days, but we cannot cleanse ourselves. We cannot. I don't know if you've ever tried to cleanse your own heart, but it doesn't work that way because the fire doesn't go from the outside in. Because, and listen, because defilement doesn't work from the outside in, but from the inside out, cleansing doesn't happen from the outside in, but it's got to happen from the inside out to be clean, right? So listen, you, you can try to clean up all of the external symptoms. You can take Pepto-Bismol. You can take Advil to reduce the fever. You can do all of these things to clean up the symptoms, but they never get to the source. And listen, you can settle for behavioral modification in your life, but never really experience internal heart change and transformation. And what that's like, listen, I've experienced it in my own life. What that's like is like a game of spiritual whack-a-mole. Okay? You ever play that game in the arcade? Whack-a-mole? Where you got the little, get the little, I don't know what that thing is, a thing you bludgeon the moles with on their heads, and the moles pop up in this one hole, and so you bang, you bang the mole, and it goes back down in the hole, and all of a sudden another one pops up over here, bang, and you knock it back down, and there's moles popping up all over the place, and you just keep whacking them down. But you know what? No matter how many times you beat the mole back into the hole, another one pops up. And it happens over and over and over again. Listen, you can, you can restrain your behavior in one area of life, externally, through all kinds of means and measures. But you know what happens? It pops up. That heart pops up. The internal condition of your heart pops up in another area of your life. And then you can restrain and push that one back down. And then it pops up in another area of your life. And you can restrain and push that one back down. And it pops up into another area of your life. It's like a young man who had a lust and lusted after women and had sexual desires that raged out of control. And all of a sudden, he begins to get that under control, right? He begins to restrain that behavior because he realizes that's going to harm him one day. So he begins to restrain that behavior. So he puts all kinds of accountability in place. He puts software onto his devices and he begins to restrain that behavior. He begins to press that down. And then all of a sudden, without a heart change or transformation, what happens is that shifts over and it begins to rise up into another area of life where he not only not, no longer is lusting after women, but now he's lusting after things possessions. Right, and so he wants everything that this world has to offer when it comes to possessions. And all of a sudden, he realizes that's going to break him, right? He's going to be, be, be in, in incredible, un, unbearable amounts of debt. And so he pushes that down and that shifts over into a lust now for power and control over other people. You see, it just moves. Because the heart, if you never get to the source, you, just, you, keep, you push a mole down and another one pops up. Because the roots go deep. So listen, church, when it comes to this issue of defilement, do not confuse the symptoms for the source. You cannot cleanse yourself. And listen, if you settle for behavioral modification you will find yourself playing whack-a-mole all of your life. And so what's the solution? I believe Jesus, Mark gives it to us here in the text. 
If we can't cleanse ourselves, but listen, we can come to Jesus to be clean. That's the third point. We're all defiled. Don't confuse the symptoms or the source, but come to Jesus to be cleansed. Listen, in the text in verse 19, Jesus or Mark inserts an editorial comment. And it's kind of odd for Mark to do this, but in this place he does. And in verse 19, Jesus says, it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Then he says, thus, Mark enters this editorial comment, thus he declared all foods clean. Now, that's a pretty significant word when Jesus declares all foods clean. Jesus doesn't just say, Mark doesn't just say, he said all foods were clean. Right? Now, had Jesus just said all... Had Mark just written, Jesus said all foods were clean, we might think that it means something like this. That it means, hey, don't make such a big fuss about all these foods. Go ahead, order all the bacon that you want. Order all the baby back ribs that you want. Cover them in barbecue sauce and Memphis rub. And listen, just eat as much as you want. But that's not what he means. We might think it means something like all these dietary and cleanliness laws aren't really important. Don't make a fuss about all these things. Let's just get beyond them. Let's just move past them. If, If Mark had said that Jesus said everything's clean, that's that may be what we think. But that's not what Mark records. Mark records it this way. Mark says Jesus declared all foods to be clean. He pronounced all foods to be clean. And what is meant by this statement must be this, that Jesus says, as of today, as of right now, I am making all foods clean for your consumption. Now, I want you to feel the weight of what Jesus is saying here. And to do that, you have to remember what we said last week when we talked about Jesus' view of the Scriptures. Remember, Jesus has a very high view of Scripture. And last week we cited Matthew chapter 5 where he says, Not a jot or a tittle of the law, not a, word, not a letter or a part of a letter will pass away until it's fulfilled. Right? It's not, we're not going to set it aside, but I've come to fulfill it. Not gonna be, we're not going to pass over it, but I've come to actually do it. I've come to fulfill it. And so Jesus would not look at all the clean laws and say, hey, listen, we're going to ignore those things. We're going to set those things aside because they're recorded in Scripture. The only possibility is that Jesus is saying that the clean laws in me have been fulfilled. I fulfill these laws. I fulfill these laws as one who has lived a sinless life, as one who has kept his way pure as one who has honored God at every juncture in in every step that I've taken. Jesus says, we're not going to dismiss these things. I'm going to fulfill them. And in his fulfillment of them, now he's able to declare them to be, all foods to be clean. Now listen, Jesus declares this as our high priest. And in, in the Old Testament, the priestly office was the one who functioned mostly within the ceremonial laws, the ceremonial cleansings. And it's, so, so you might think, how did Jesus fulfill this? Well, he fulfilled it as our high priest. Let me take you back a little bit in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, in Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah has this vision as a prophet a vision in which, as many scholars believe, he's brought into the center of the temple in the very presence of God, in the very holy of holies. And as he's brought into the presence of God, as, as Zechariah sees Joshua, the high priest, in the presence of God, that would have happened one time every year on the Day of Atonement. When the high priest would go into the holy of holies and he would offer up sacrifices for the sins of the people. And so Zechariah sees Joshua, the high priest, standing in the presence of the Lord. And now listen, I want you to consider that this Day of Atonement was a, was a significant marker in Israel's annual calendar. And going into the Holy of Holies, it was a sobering reality. 
fact, it was a dangerous reality, so dangerous that they would tie a rope to the foot of the high priest in case he died in there, they could pull him out so nobody else had to go in and get him and thus die in the presence of the Lord because they were consumed by his holiness and their sin, as a result of their sinfulness. In fact, we're told in the book of Leviticus that the, 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 the presence of God dwelt there in the Holy of Holies above the Ark of the Covenant, seated upon the mercy seat. And whenever they came, the, whole, the high priest were to come in, he was to burn all kinds of incense and there'd be all kinds of smoke in there because that's where God's presence was. And if they came into the unmitigated presence of God, not seeing Him through the smoke, but seeing Him clearly, they would die. So it's a sobering reality of Him going in there. And so as a result, there was all sorts of preparation that the high priest went through before he went into the very presence of God on the Day of Atonement. Consider the preparation. This is just a portion of the preparation the high priest would go through. Listen, a week prior to the Day of Atonement, the high priest would be put into seclusion. So he would not accidentally come into contact with anything that was unclean. So he wouldn't be defiled himself as he went in there to the presence of God. He would wash ceremonially and he would prepare his heart. The night before, he would stay up all night long. He would not sleep. He'd be reading scripture and he'd be in prayer to prepare his soul to go before the presence of the Lord. On the day of atonement, he did not wear the ordinary priestly garments, but he wore absolutely pure white linen. And before he put those clothes on, he would bathe himself. He would wash himself. He would cleanse himself head to toe. And then he would first get dressed and go into the Holy of Holies and make sacrifice for his sins. Because he was not pure. So he would sacrifice for his sins. Then he would come back out. And he would bathe again. And he would dress again in pure white linen. And he would go in and he would make sacrifice for the sins of the priests. And then he would come back out and he would bathe again and he would be robed again in garments and he would go back in again to make sacrifices for the sacrifice for the sins of the people. The crowds were there to gather and witness all of what was taking place there in Jerusalem, there at the temple. And they would witness all of this, all the, the not well, the bathings he's behind the screen, but they would witness him you know, like cleanse himself robe himself, go in and make sacrifices for his sin, for the sins of the priest, for the sins of the people. And they were there to witness all of this and celebrate because the priest stood as the representative of the people as they went into the presence of the Lord. So you think of all this preparation the priest goes through to be clean, to be pure in the presence of God. And then Zechariah has this vision of Joshua, the high priest, standing before the presence of the Lord. And when he has this vision, I want you to consider what we read next in verse 3. It's absolutely shocking in Zechariah 3.3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel of the Lord clothed with filthy garments. You know that word filthy? In the Hebrew, it literally means excrement. That's what it literally means. Translators clean it up a little bit for us. It just says filthy here, but it means excrement. In other words, he's standing in the presence of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, it says in the text, which, is, which the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament is the pre-incarnate Christ standing there. He's standing there before Jesus in the presence of God in these garments that are covered in feces and urine, human excrement. How in the world would, could this take place? That the high priest standing in the Holy of Holies in the presence of God, covered in garments that are filthy. And the, the scholars and commentators are rack their brains over this, and the, really the only interpretive solution for it is this. Is that Zechariah being a prophet, God must have given him a prophetic vision of what? Our condition before God really looks like, despite all of our efforts to clean ourselves up. Despite all of our efforts, through either through our religious performance, through our moral purity, through our, uh, our attempts externally to look like one who is clean. 
God must have given Zechariah a vision into the real condition of, of the human soul before the Lord as being those who are clothed in these filthy garments. And yet, and yet the angel of the Lord who was there standing before him says this, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I, this is verse 4 and following, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. How, so God says, listen, I'm going to take away the filthy rags that are covered in excrement. I'm going to clothe you with clean garments. I'm going to put a clean turban on your head. And then further down, the Lord speaks to Zechariah and Joshua both. In Zechariah 3, verses 8 and 9, He says this, Hear now, O Joshua high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. God says to Zechariah and to Joshua, there is one, this branch that had been prophesied, that would shoot up from the stump of David, who will come, the Lord's servant, and he would remove the iniquity of the people in a single day. In other words, how can Joshua's filthy garments be removed and replaced with these clean garments? If this is the real condition of the man who has taken such careful scrutiny to be prepared to go into the presence of God. He's bathed himself all week. He's been in prayer in the scriptures all night. He's bathed himself on three separate occasions. He's clothed himself in pure garments each time. If this is the real condition of that man, woe is me. How can God remove these filthy garments and replace them with garments that are clean and bright and new? He says, there's a day that's coming in which my servant, the branch, will come. And in a single day, in his own day of atonement, he would wipe away the iniquity of his people. See, Zechariah says, one day there'll be another Joshua, another Yeshua that would come. Who would come and in a single day wipe away all of our uncleanness. See, the book of Hebrews presents Jesus as our high priest who would preside over and provide himself for the day of atonement. And listen, one week before that single day, Jesus began to prepare. And in many ways, what happened to Jesus was the opposite of what happened to this Joshua, this high priest. Other than the fact that Jesus didn't sleep the night before, just like the high priest. He was up in prayer petitioning his father. But in every other way, what happened to Jesus was opposite of what happened to Joshua. Instead of a whole crowd cheering him on, every single person who, who he loved betrayed, abandoned, or denied him. Instead of standing before God and receiving words of encouragement, he stood before the Father and the Father forsook him on the cross. Instead of being clothed in costly garments, he was stripped of the only garment he had and he was killed naked. He was bathed, yes he was, but in human spit. Jesus was crucified outside the gate where the garbage went, where the bodies were burned, the place of uncleanness. You see, what happened to Jesus on his day of atonement was that he received our filthy garments. He was clothed in our sin that we might be clothed in His righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Apostle Paul says, it was for His sake, or for our sake, sorry, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God clothed Jesus with our garments that were covered in excrement so that we might be clothed in the garments of fine, pure, bright, clean linen like the saints of Revelation 19. Do you see this theme all throughout the Bible? That we are unclean, we are defiled. 
And the issue is not all of our external behavior, but the issue is our heart. And the only way for our hearts to be clean, the only way for our hearts to be cleansed, the only way for our defilement to be dealt with is through someone taking upon himself our defilement so that we might be clean. And I want you to know, church and guests, that there is one person who has done that. And his name is Jesus. You see, whenever our kids came back from that muddy field several months ago, and it was time to be done wallowing, we made them lay down on the driveway, and we took the water hose to them. And we just with the jet spray on the nozzle, right? And it was a little painful at times. Um, they they kind of whimpered, okay? And we just hosed them off. We cleaned them off, right? Because they could not get all that mud off themselves. There was someone outside of them who had to act upon them to cleanse them from all of their filth. And that's the position that you and I stand in, except except that what we did only cleansed the outside of their bodies. And what Jesus is able to do, He's able to bring change in here. As you go from being content, content to be covered in pride, as you go from being content to be covered and filled with greed, as you go from being content to be filled with lust, as you go from being content to be filled with evil thoughts and schemes, as you go to be Go from being content with operating in deceitful ways. And you say, I can no longer, I can't can't any longer. Listen, you can press that down externally or you can bring it to Jesus and allow Him to change you internally. And what you'll find is that He'll not only bring about change in that area, but He'll also begin to cleanse all these other areas that you didn't even know were there. So listen, if you're asking me, what, what do I do with all this? What practical application do I do? What do I do with all this? Let me encourage you. Two things. First of all, and these, I, these points aren't on the screen, but I'm going to give them to you. First of all, listen, do not settle for external washings, but root out the sin that is under the sin. Root out the sin that is under the sin. See, whenever you see these external symptoms begin to bubble up in your life, what do you do? Well, you can either try to press those down through external conformity, or you can do like David does in the Psalms. When he goes before God and he says, God, would you search me and know me? Would you test me? Would you reveal the wickedness of my own heart? In other words, God, would you show me where this is coming from? Listen, in the last several days, I have had to be on my knees before God, asking Him to show me where these things are coming from and to deal with even areas of my own life as I've recognized the intense, the intense nature of which I need to be cleansed. Because this, this is not a one-time thing. If you think it's a one-time thing, then listen, you will, you will walk an aisle, you'll pray a prayer, you'll sign a card, and you'll go about your life doing whatever you would like. But listen, this is a thing that happens over and over and over and over again in the Christian life as God purges and purifies us. So listen, where you may have started... You may have started by saying, God, show me where this is coming from. Perhaps in recent days or years, you've ceased to do that. I want to encourage you to go back to that. Root out the sin that's under the sin. Don't settle for external conformity. But say, God, would you show me where this is coming from? And then once God shows you where it's coming from, the heart condition that it's being birthed out of. And listen, sometimes that will be a very painful process. But as he begins to unearth that, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. Say, God, show me where this is coming from. 
root out the sin that's in the sin, and then you radiate that sin with the good news of the gospel. You radiate it, just like cancer, just like targeted, pinpointed therapy to those areas of your heart in which you find sinful strongholds from which you've yet to be liberated. You, re- you target those areas with pinpoint radiation. You take the truths of the Scriptures, the truths, you saturate your life with those areas and you pinpoint those areas. If you're struggling with lust and you find texts that deal with lust of the flesh and you pinpoint those areas. If you're struggling with greed, you find Scriptures that deal with greed and you pinpoint those areas of your life and you say, what God has said is better. And I go to war against this sin in my life with this scripture because I believe that what God has done in Christ is He's made me clean. So now I want to walk in that purity. I want to walk in that cleanliness. And I do so by radiating those areas of my heart, not just whacking down that next mole that pops up. But I radiate those things. And so you memorize scripture. You radiate your heart with scripture You reason with yourself. You preach to yourself. But listen, church. You also have to respond to that preaching. And as you radiate your heart with that, and you pray for the grace, and you stand up and you walk in obedience, saying, I want to live in the cleanliness that Christ has purchased for me as my high priest who presided over and provided for his own day of atonement. So don't settle for external conformity. Root out the sin that's under the sin and then radiate that with the beauty and glory of Jesus and the truth of God's Word. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You so much. We thank You for the Gospel. We thank You that Your mercy is more. There are sins. They are many. My sins, God, are many. Father, if you were to count my iniquities, I know that I could not stand before you. But you are to be feared and revered and honored because, God, with you there is forgiveness. With you there is mercy. With you there is kindness. With you there is cleansing. And Father, that cleansing, as we're reminded in the book of Romans, ought to have an effect in our lives that leads us toward repentance. And not looking at the kindness and cleansing that's provided to us through the cross and despising it. But rejoicing in it. And then repenting of sin. God, would you make that true in me? And would you make that true in us? That we might walk in the cleanliness you've purchased for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.